0: This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm Meg Kramer. After many months of asking, do we know anything about this election, we finally have an answer to at least one question, who will be president? Over the next few months, BuzzFeed News will be digging into what Trump will do as president, the campaign promises he made, and the millions of people they will affect. This will be the last episode of the podcast for now, so... We're going to lay out a kind of roadmap of all the things we don't know that might come up in the next year. From the Supreme Court to Obamacare and immigration to what's going to happen to the Trump brand when he's president. Catherine Miller is politics editor at BuzzFeed News. She's here to walk us through this. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Let's kick this off with a pretty straightforward question. What's going to happen to Merrick Garland? He is not going to be a Supreme Court justice, which is something that
1: when he was selected, I think a lot of people thought that that was pretty likely, that he was never going to actually be a Supreme Court justice.
0: And we've seen a list of the people who Trump may nominate. He put out like 20 names during his
1: (laughs) campaign, (laughs) right? Yes, he did. Um, One that I think you can count on not being a Supreme Court justice is Senator Mike Lee who's a Senator from Utah who's been interviewed on the show? He uh, I he's he's ruled that out before and uh, like it's a mix of names like they'll pick one. It's tough to know who's gonna exactly be like making decisions. I mean, one of the big things about the Trump campaign is they weren't expecting to win either. So there's a lot of nuts and bolts that are being kind of installed right now.
0: And on that sort of to-do list is other cabinet appointments. I mean, Chris Christie has been in charge of Trump's transition team, which has been working since after the uh, conventions to sort of figure out what a Trump administration would look like. But like, have they been taking that project seriously until now? I think they've been taking it seriously,
1: but they haven't been. Uh, one one big thing that's going to change. So a couple things. One big thing that's going to change is people are going to be much more likely to say yes than they were three months ago because Trump's the, the association with Donald Trump before Tuesday. For a lot of Republicans, a lot of D.C. Republicans, the kind who fill the, you know, deputy director of this office at the, you know, Health and Human Services Department, that kind of person, were not big Trump fans and were concerned that it would damage their careers if they were like pro-Trump. Now, there are a lot of new jobs. There are a lot of new opportunities. Some people feel that there is a patriotic obligation to serve in administration. Other people just need a job and there will be jobs. So there's going to be a lot more people who are willing to say
0: yes. So, yeah. So while there were fewer people who were willing to sort of pledge themselves to Trump the candidate, there are a lot of people who are going to pledge themselves to Trump the president. Right. And and to the, you know, the federal government in general. I think one of the
1: big things to watch is how this sort of takes shape. The The transition team has been dominated by Governor Chris Christie and then also the Heritage Foundation, which is a big conservative think tank in DC. Those two groups of people don't quite see the world the same way. Governor Chris Christie, that kind of crew tends to be more socially liberal, um, mostly from the Northeast, very heavy on kind of the law and order author- authoritarian feel that like Chris Christie or Donald Trump or Rudy Giuliani kind of gives off. Like They're not interested in same-sex marriage the same way that people think of you know, social conservatives being interested in things. Heritage, a little bit different. That's gonna be more of a traditional conservative group. Small government, social issues. In, in some way, some of those people really disagree with the kind of Chris Christie school on criminal justice. That's where you'd see those conservatives who wanna change drug sentencing laws and who think that mass incarceration is a problem, not least because it's expensive. So you're, those are two different kind of ideologies and ways of looking at the world. Um, and like how that kind of plays out will be a very significant thing for what a Donald Trump administration will really do. Kind of because we don't exactly, we don't have that record of what Donald Trump, how he would govern. So there's some uncertainty about which direction it might go in.
0: After the appointments, Trump has made a number of campaign promises for his very first day in office. And I want to talk about one of the big ones, which is renegotiating NAFTA.
1: Oh, can he do that? It's very tough to so like it, let's say we get rid of NAFTA, right? It has all these things that when you make a big agreement, you build in things to enforce it, basically, and also to make sure that if you break it, it you know they can't get it's bad. I think the economic costs of getting rid of NAFTA or trying to renegotiate it, and probably the volatility that would come with even signaling that we wanted to renegotiate it. 'Cause a lot of you know, a lot of being president is actual signals. It's not even so much actions as it is, you know, the idea that there might be uncertainty affects diplomacy and markets and those sorts of things. But the idea the idea, the uncertainty and like probably the the pain of renegotiating NAFTA will probably prevent them from doing that. They I I would imagine the Trans Pacific Partnership, the trade deal that Obama has been pushing for Five years, that one's dead. So TPP gone, Gone.
0: NAFTA. We'll see. No, we're gonna. NAFTA's not going anywhere. (laughs) All right. So I want to talk about another big campaign promise, which was repealing Obamacare. Yes, that one probably happening. Um, So, speaking of not
1: knowing anything, I personally am not an expert on how to do things on the hill, like. I could do the schoolhouse rock, like how a bill becomes a law. But that's like in, pretty. That's pretty good. In real life, <laughs> <laughs> how a bill becomes a law is a little bit much for me. We have experts on that topic here, <laughs> and they and I listen to them. I don't tell the. I don't write the headlines. For Catherine their Miller
0: does not cover Congress
1: I for Buzzfeed News. Yes. <laughs> don't listen to me. Um, however, I think it's likely that. There will be either a repeal and replace or like some very significant changes to Obamacare. How that will affect – I mean insurers are kind of gearing up for that. Regardless of who was president, there were going to be a lot of changes with Obamacare in the next year, in the next year and a half.
0: What about the things – I mean so we talked a little bit about the sort of political consequences of eliminating NAFTA – what about some of the things in in Obamacare that are really popular, like you can get insurance if you have a pre-existing condition, things like that? It
1: will be interesting to see how they – I mean the thing with uh, the politics of these things is often that once you extend something, it's very tough to take it back. It, once you extend a good or a right, it's very tough to like – you know, do the claw back because people have it. it. You know, it's the kind of toothpaste out of the t- tube sort of situation. I wouldn't necessarily be able to speak to what Congress is thinking. I, these things will be driven by Congress in a lot of ways, like because they're the, going to be—you know—Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell will be leading, you know, the Republican Party on Capitol Hill, and those things will be driven by committees within. One thing I would say is there'll probably be a lot of volatility with healthcare in general. Like one another big thing that people the in the last few days. Birth control contraceptives have become a big issue. Oh, they're going to go away, the, you know, like because uh, the Obamacare regulation extends, you know, it has to be covered. So that might, you know, that might change. There are other ways it could change too. One of the big pushes that's going on in the country right now is over-the-counter oral contraceptives has become a big thing on the West Coast, particularly and is very popular among a lot of Republican politicians. Uh, some activists oppose that. You know, there's a lot of... So there, there just could be a lot of, like, changes to the different pieces of mm. of these things. Okay. What about the wall? I don't think the... I don't know. What do you... I mean, I don't
0: think... That, <laughs> what do I think? Did you no, almost just... What do
1: you think about the wall? <laughs> I mean, I don't think the wall is going to... I don't... The wall would be extremely expensive.
0: But he said he was going to do it. Sean A lot of people Sean don't Hannity, think he's actually going to build that wall. Sean Hannity thinks he's going to build the wall. He when really believes to, that he's going to build the when wall. When you talk to like Trump supporters,
1: though, a lot of people don't. So Trump wrote the art of the deal, right? Or, ghost, you know, <laughs> it's a Ghostwriter wrote it, but with Trump. Yeah. Um, and the whole deal in the art of the deal is kind of that, like, you come in high and you come in with sort of like a starting premise, right? And like a lot of Trump supporters will tell you that, we will cite art of the deal right back to you. In the last few weeks, for instance, uh, Trump has also talked quite a bit about enforcement priorities on immigration. And they put out a policy plan when they were trying to be like very formal and put out policy plans one of the things that they had in there was that they would be putting in mandatory minimums for people who crossed the border and had been caught, you know, like illegally crossing the border at a certain point. There would be a, I can't remember what the number was, but there was a point at which they would be slapped with a mandatory minimum federal prison sentence. The federal prison system is just, overrun with basically dealing with that issue already without even having a mandatory minimum situation. Like much of the federal court system and federal prison system is dealing with, you know, detentions and deportations. It would be incredibly expensive. It would be incredibly inefficient to do that. And and that's the reality of it. So I, I think that's where you're going to run to a lot of these things. Like with the wall is like it would be incredibly expensive and inefficient. And if they want to do an infrastructure project, then it's probably going to be need, need to be something else. Now, the other thing about infrastructure is – because that's what the big thing that he's talked about the whole time. You know, our terrible bridges and our third-world airports and the whole deal. He wants to do that. There's a lot of, like, enthusiasm for that, especially in the, among Democrats. Mitch McConnell doesn't want to do an infrastructure project. They just did one last year. And he's in charge of the Senate. So what's going to – Like,
0: Oh, so there are these issues on which – having this Republican majority in Congress may be like an oppositional force to some of the things that Trump has promised on the campaign trail? Correct. What about the rest of Trump's immigration proposals? Um, I'm thinking specifically of overturning deferred action or like the policies that let children of undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. when they were very young stay. So there's a couple things on this. One is the
1: way that the DACA and then DAPA, the second set of executive actions that Obama tried to do that have been held up in court that have to do with the parents of those of those people. Um the way that they were all they are justified legally by the administration is that it's an issue of prosecutorial discretion, which means it's their decision who they want to pick to there's it's a big enough problem basically that they can focus on this group of people or they can focus on that group of people, and they're going to pick this group of people, and they're not going to deport that group of people, basically. And that's something the Trump administration will now have. Again, this kind of gets back to what is actually feasible and what is efficient and what is – how much this is – what is the cost? The Last year, around New Year's, the Obama administration did a series of raids to deport people back to Central America – It took enormous effort and time. It also was like very small groups of people. Like we're talking like 120. It's very difficult to actually like practically deport like thousands of people. And so that's one of the other things. I mean that's that's something that came up quite a bit during the primary is like what Trump was selling people on immigration is actually incredibly difficult, expensive, and practical – he may do those things, but it's also that's like he'll run into an issue of like, oh, do taxpayers really want to pay for people who? And we're not talking about DACA, you know, like uh, the Dreamer kids here. We're talking about you know people who are, keep crossing the border. Like I was mentioning about uh, mandatory minimums, do taxpayers really want to pay for a two year, two years in prison for people who've been crossing the border in America?
0: Catherine's shrugging right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I you can't (laughs) see. I don't know. I've been thinking so much about this because of all of the things that we don't know about what Trump's presidency will look like, this is one of those things where not knowing is almost as bad as knowing for the people who are affected by these policies. Yes. Like, not knowing whether or not you're going to be deported, not knowing whether or not DACA will be overturned, whether you will be, like, personally targeted and asked to leave the country, that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. And— I think of, like, all of the unknowns and uncertainties that we've talked about throughout this podcast. That one, I think, stays with me. OK, I want to talk next about foreign policy because Trump has said more than once that he would like to bomb ISIS and take their oil. He has threatened to withdraw financial support for NATO troops. And he seems to have like strong positive feelings about Vladimir Putin. Is all of this part of a coherent Trumpian worldview that you think will extend to the foreign policy choices that he makes? It's
1: tough to know right now for two big reasons. The first is kind of what we've been talking about with appointments. If names that you've heard before end up in key roles, like at you know the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of Defense, CIA, those kinds of jobs, then it might look more like it has in the past. Then secondly, Trump campaigned very consistently on a return to more realism in foreign policy, which is basically a foreign policy ideology that emphasizes respecting national interests and like that it is okay if for the purposes of you as an American, it is okay if a dictator is running a country far away because that that allows for stability. He campaigned very consistently that way. In the past, I've listened to many, many, many hours of interviews with Donald Trump taken over the last decade. Trump demonstrates sort of a humanitarian interventionist impulse, like when Gaddafi the the Libyan dictator was gunning down citizens basically Trump wanted to intervene Trump was like why didn't we take him out this is terrible why didn't we take him out sooner I don't know which of those
0: things is going to be the kind of impulse when he's president what about Trump's brand Trump the business all of his real estate holdings and you know but usually when someone becomes president, they put all of their assets into a blind trust. Someone else manages it for them. And they usually don't mean like your kids manage it for you yeah, when they ask what you to do said. that. That's not how a blind trust works.
1: What's going to happen? Uh, that's a little unclear. And I don't think they're really prepared for it. One of the big things is, for one thing, they have they have a very lucrative general services administration contract at that hotel that they just built in D.C. that everybody's been writing stories about how it's not booked. That hotel is a lease from the federal government. Trump has always been able to take advantage of, you know, government regulations, government subsidies. You know, that's something he would have purview over. Uh, They also have a lot of international interests. They they have hotels like around the world. Um, And that's, you know, that's not unrelated to the purview of the president. One of the things that, you know, any president has control over is – you know, appointments is, con- it, to a certain extent, contracts, regulations that benefit certain things. And, like, as two examples, you know, Obama appointed a lot of people who gave money to him to be for- foreign ambassadors. Uh, Obama also, you know, the Obama administration also did a lot for green energy, and like, a lot of people are very for that, and that's that's fine. Uh, a lot of people who benefited from it are also people who
0: are, like, allies. So, yeah. So it's it's not to say that every politician is totally free from association with things like bestowing favors or being interested in certain industries over others because of people who contribute to their campaigns, um, also just the things that they believe in, things like that. But, like, that's very different from being in a position to enrich yourself through your own company and like this is something that we've already seen Trump doing on his campaign like his campaign bought his book or is like leasing Leasing, property from him like flying in his jet. You know this is not precedented and we've also seen like an unprecedented hesitation to disclose financial information like by releasing his taxes. Yes. I would say. You know the
1: the traditionally, unless he breaks, you know what we think he's going to do. There's no way that Ivanka and Don Jr. can run the Trump organization, which they basically do.
0: Like they they can't. Like that's that is actually like that is a major conflict of interest. Is there a way to like for someone other than Trump to decide that it's a conflict of interest? So that's one of the issues. Is like when you're pre- when you're president of the United States, you really you really and truly are the most powerful person in the world. What are all of the things that could happen with the investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email mm. server? <laughs> <laughs> they're I mean, still going on. They I they're mean, never
1: they're never letting it it's like a grateful dead kind of thing. <laughs> it's like we're gonna be doing this investigation for the rest of our lives.
0: During one of the debates, Trump said that he would appoint a special prosecutor to look into it, which, which is that's like, not how that works, by the way. It's the mildest thing he said about what he's going to do about Clinton's private lock email up, server. Man. Yeah. And, and lock her up is like could be like the subhead of his campaign. It's like cheered at every rally. Right. What is he going to do? What are, What are the things that he can do about that? Is it likely? Is it possible that he will try to do something to lock her up to lock Um, her
1: up yeah it so i actually think that probably stopped being politically useful to donald trump on tuesday night
0: Hmm.
1: for one on the political end i think it's going to be a, a tougher lift a tougher lift on two levels one is she will get more popular frankly i bet her popularity tips up after losing and being pretty and being very gracious so a that and then b It's going to be a weird look. I mean they say – the House Oversight Committee and one of the other ones say they're going to continue their investigations. I think it's going to be a weird look for them to continue their investigations into Hillary Clinton once there's like a new administration and it's supposed to be like a clean break and it's like why are these guys doing this? My personal like honest hope just having done – been doing this since March of 2015 (laughs) is that like – on some level, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't cry out of injustice if Obama, like, just was like, all right, here's a pardon for ev- – here's, like, a papal pardon for, like, everyone. And we're never – and, like, it's
0: signed. We're never, ever going to talk about email ever, ever again. <laughs> all this time, you know, pundits and journalists and advisors mm-hmm. and other politicians have been waiting for the Trump pivot. The moment where he starts to take his campaign, where where his campaign becomes conventional, do you think that campaign Trump will survive the transition to presidency Trump? Or will he be forced into a more conventional role by the rigidity of the U.S. government?
1: I mean, one thing, somebody was saying this to me the other night on election night is, or maybe this was yesterday, Trump is going to hate being president. He's going to hate it. Like you saw him at the um, that day he was in Mexico, he looked miserable because he had just sat through a bilat, and the bilat probably went exactly how you do it, which is, you know, one leader speaks this way, and there's an interpreter, and then you speak, and then you speak a little bit more, and then it's very formal and polite. Every thirty seconds of a president's day is choreographed and strictly monitored, and you can't go places you just want to go because you feel like it. Like, he will be trapped, he'll be basically trapped in the White
0: House. Some of campaign Trump will be squeezed out of him just because protocol demands it.
1: Yeah, and just because each day will be a series of briefings about bad things happening. Because that's, I mean, that's just the nature of, I mean, I don't mean it like because Trump's president, I just mean bad things happen, and that's what the president gets told. Because, you know, because it's a, you know, it's a tough world. It's a tough place.
0: No One Knows Anything is produced by me, Meg Kramer, with editorial oversight from Kate Nocera and Eleanor Kagan, and production support from Chiquita Pascal, Julia Forlan, and Nina Patak. Our music is composed by Beauty Pill. As always, you can email us at no one knows anything at BuzzFeed.com. That's all for now.